Okay, good afternoon and welcome. You'll remember last week, right at the end of class, we got on this topic of predestination. And so Pastor asked me to just park the car here for today, and we can talk about this thing that we call predestination and figure out what it's all about and what do we as Lutherans teach, preach, and confess and believe about predestination. So before we get started, let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer. Blessed Lord, who has caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant that we may in such wise hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of thy holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life which you have given to us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, does everyone have a handout? That's good. All right, so last week when we were in our study, we read this verse from Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, 29 through 30, which said, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So we saw that word predestined in those verses, and then we had this question that came up. What is predestination? What do we as Lutherans teach about it? What do we believe? So let's um, define some terms here first. So predestination is God's election, or the act of God choosing People for salvation, as St. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, before the foundation of the world. So even before people were created, God has predestined people for salvation. He has this knowledge because he is all-knowing. He knows who will be saved and who will be not. And from the beginning of time, he has predestined those who will be saved, choosing people for salvation. All right, now what what do we call these people who have been chosen for salvation? We call them the elect. They are Christians who have been justified, received the adoption of sons and everlasting life, The elect are those whom God has predestined to salvation. And now another term that we need to look at is the reprobate. So according to Calvin, you have the reprobate, which you would call those whom God has predestined or elected to hell and damnation. So here is the first rub between Lutheranism and some of the other Reformed traditions. 
The Lutherans teach what the Bible teaches about this thing called predestination, where God predestines only to salvation. Only to people being saved. Whereas the, whereas the Calvinists would say, God predestines both people to salvation and to hell. So from the beginning of time, under the Calvinist thought, God picks people, you go to heaven, you go to hell, you go to heaven, you go to hell. The Lutherans don't teach that, and neither do Holy Scriptures, and we will get, we'll get into it. And where Calvinists sort of get this idea that there is a selection of people going to heaven and a selection of people going to hell kind of just arbitrarily. All right, so any questions then about these definitions? Yes. No, it is choosing only people for salvation. Okay, so salvation is not available to everyone? Salvation is available to everyone. We, we will get there. Okay. The predestination, right? The predestination is God choosing his elect from the foundations of the world. From before anything was created, he foreknew and predestined some to salvation. And now when we're talking about predestination, we need to understand that it is a mystery, right? We cannot answer the question as Christians, why some and not others? This is not a question that has been, the answer has not been revealed to us in Holy Scriptures. We only know what the Lord teaches us about predestination from his word. And that is what we have to confess. So we looked at Romans 8, 29 through 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So in these verses, we have this predestination and also this calling and justification and glorification. Predestination takes place outside of time. As, again, as St. Paul says, before the foundations of the world in Ephesians 1 verse 4. So from the beginning of all time, the Lord knows whom he will predestine and whom he will choose. How this comes about in time, then, is the calling. The Holy Spirit working through the preaching of the gospel, the administration of the sacraments, Jesus Christ coming into the world, dying on the cross to save those, to save, to save all mankind, right? Dying for the sins of all mankind justifying those by faith, and then on the last day, those who believe being given glorified bodies, stripped away from all sin and the knowledge of sin,
to live with God forever in eternity in perfect bliss and happiness. So God has predestined believers to be conformed to the image of his Son. And those whom he predestined from eternity, he called by the gospel and justified by faith and will glorify in eternal life. Again, it's important to note when we're talking about predestination, God predestines to salvation, to adoption as sons, according to the purposes of his will. He does not predestine and he does not elect people to go to hell. He doesn't. He predestines only to salvation and adoption of sons. Again, this is from Ephesians chapter 1. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. So again, we've been predestined to an inheritance. We have been predestined to salvation, to the adoption as sons. We've been predestined to these good things and not predestined to hell and condemnation and separation from our Lord or eternal wrath. Okay, flipping the page then. Because the Bible uses this term, predestination, in this way, in this way meaning that there is only a predestination to salvation and not a predestination to hell and condemnation, the Lutheran confessions describe predestination in this way. The eternal election of God, however, predestination, God's ordination to salvation does not extend at once over the godly and the wicked, but only over the children of God who were elected and ordained to eternal life before the foundation of the world was laid. He hath chosen us in him, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ. So from the beginning of time, it is not as if the Lord said, this person goes to heaven, this person goes to hell, and nothing ever can change that. This is not what the Lord has ordained from the beginning. He has marked some for salvation, the others by the hardness of their own heart, by the rejection of Christ, by the rejection of the gospel. They have sealed themselves from salvation. They have rejected the gospel. They have rejected Christ. It is not as if God caused them to reject him in that way. He doesn't just put up a wall around them and say, well, sorry, you don't get to be saved because I say so. That would undo the entirety of what Christ has done by his all-atoning death on the cross. Because Christ did die for all men and for our salvation, right? It is by the wickedness of man and the purposes of the devil 
that he would have us reject Christ, reject this salvation, reject the gospel, and that is what condemns. So it is not God just arbitrarily from the beginning picking some to go to heaven and then sending the rest to hell just because. That's not how it works. Now, also we have to have this distinction when we're talking about predestination. We have God's eternal counsel, which counsel is another way of saying like his innermost thoughts, right? And the innermost thoughts of God, we have to be honest, are a mystery. If it's not revealed to us in Holy Scripture, we really cannot know his innermost thoughts. So within God's eternal counsel, this includes predestination and reprobation. But these should not be seen in an absolute sense, as if God chose some to be damned arbitrarily. And we confess this again in our Lutheran confessions in the formula of Concord. Moreover, even as God has ordained in his eternal counsel that the Holy Ghost should call, enlighten, and convert the elect through the word, and that he will justify and save all those who by true faith receive Christ, so he also determined in his counsel that he will harden, reprobate, and condemn those who are called through the word if they reject the word and resist the Holy Ghost who wishes to be efficacious and to work in them through the word and preserve therein, or, or persevere therein. And in this manner, many are called, but few are chosen. So again, the word goes out, the gospel of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And when sinful man, because of the sinfulness of his heart and his, the sinfulness of his flesh in his sinful nature, rejects this gospel, rejects the good news of Jesus Christ, he wants to justify himself he doesn't need God for anything, and so man hardens his heart against God, rejects the Holy Ghost, despises God's word, and this, and in this way becomes what we would call reprobate, right? One who is not saved, one who is not elect. Many are called, but few are chosen. So those who reject the gospel and then die in impenitence, in unrepentance, they die in final unbelief, these are not among the elect. Those who believe the gospel in this life and endure until the end are God's elect. Okay, so why then do we study this predestination thing? Is there, what's the good news here for us Christians? Again, in our confessions, they lay out, they lay out for us eight reasons, or the, um, not eight reasons, but just the, the doctrine of predestination is just laid out for us in eight points. And these are all true points. So one, 
the human race is truly redeemed and reconciled with God through Christ, who by his faultless obedience, suffering, and death has merited for us the righteousness which avails before God and eternal life. So the human race, all people, everyone from every time, everyone who will ever exist, is truly redeemed and reconciled with God through Christ. They have been justified in that way, right? The Lord has died for all people, reconciling them to the Father. Two, that such merit and benefits of Christ shall be presented, offered, and distributed to us through his words and sacraments. This is why the office of the pastor has been created, right? To preach this word, to preach Christ crucified, and to administer the sacraments and gifts. Then number three, that by his Holy Ghost, through the word, when it is preached, heard, and pondered, he will be efficacious and active in us, convert hearts to true repentance, and preserve them in the one true faith. So God sends out his pastors who preach the gospel and administer the sacraments, and through this, the Holy Ghost works to create faith, to convert hearts, to bring about repentance, and then to keep the elect, to keep Christians in this one true faith. Number four, that he will justify all those who in true repentance receive Christ by a true faith and will receive them into grace, the adoption of sons, and the inheritance of eternal life. So those who, by repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, the Lord justifies and receives them into a grace, makes them sons of God, and gives them the inheritance of eternal life. He does this through holy baptism, where he is the rebirth and regeneration by the Spirit. And if we become sons of God, we also become inheritors. And we inherit what is given to us by Christ, our brother eternal life, the forgiveness of sins, a clean conscience. Number five, that he will also sanctify in love those who are thus justified, as St. Paul says in Ephesians 1 verse 4. Number six, that he will also protect them in their great weakness against the devil, the world, and the flesh, and rule and lead them in his ways, raise them again when they stumble, comfort them under the cross and in temptation, and preserve them for life eternal. That he will also, number seven, that he will also strengthen, increase, and support to the end the good work which he has begun in them. If they adhere to God's word, pray diligently, abide in God's goodness or grace, and faithfully use the gifts received. And number eight, finally, he will eternally save and glorify in life eternal those whom he has elected, called, and justified. This is from the Solid Declaration, Article 11 on Election, from our Book of Concord. So this doctrine of predestination is actually good news for us, right? 
And it is possible for us to know that we are the elect. Right? We have been we have been baptized. The Holy Spirit has called, gathered, and enlightened us in His church. We have the assurance of salvation and the forgiveness of sins. These things are true, and we can be certain of them. And you don't need to wonder if you are the elect. This is not true for the Calvinists and some of the other Reformed traditions that are out there. We have this distinction between the double predestination and single predestination. As we discussed earlier, the single predestination being God predestines towards salvation only, which is what the Bible teaches and what we Lutherans confess, single predestination, as opposed to the Calvinist double predestination where God picks some to go to hell and some to go to heaven, both of those at the same time. In the system of double predestination, then, you really can't know if you're elect. I mean, if, if from the beginning of time, God says, yep, some of you go to heaven, some of you go to hell, the preaching of the gospel really doesn't do anything for you, right? I mean, what the heck, you can go to church and do everything right, but if you weren't picked from the beginning of time, um, oh well, too, too bad? Pastor, did I see your hand? I was just going to say, you said a lot of good things. Anybody have any questions for Victor so far? <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to. I thought maybe that would be a good time before we get into double predestination. Okay. So, yeah, one question. Okay. So Romans eight twenty nine and is it and thirty? Yes. That is speaking only of believers. Correct. Correct. God. So those those he foreknew, right? Because he's all knowing. He has predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And those he predestined, he called, and justified, and glorified. He's talking about the elect, those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, those who receive eternal life and the forgiveness of sin and salvation. Any other questions here real quick? It's not like a script. He's not the... The writer and producer and director. Right, he's not um, he's not like the puppet master in that way, right? right. Where he and, and we'll we'll get to that under this system of Calvinism and this double predestination. If you truly believe in double predestination, you have to say a lot of bad things about God, a lot of dangerous things that just aren't in the Bible. But before we get to that, we need to. Look at some more passages, because where do these Calvinists get the idea that God just arbitrarily picks some to go to heaven and then picks others to go to hell? I got more 
Okay. Okay, so God's eternal foreknowledge. Mm-hmm. How does that play in into the chosen? I don't know that God's foreknowledge plays into it other than the fact that he just knows who will and won't be saved. Um, the only reason that any are saved is just honestly by the grace of God, right? So it's not as if he's looking at the knowledge itself doesn't prescribe how he chooses people to be saved. Does that make sense, Pastor? Yeah, maybe a, a way to think about it is um, I know that the sun will come up tomorrow, but I don't make it happen but I know it's going to, and I probably can't even find out what time, you know, if I got it. So that's the weird thing with God. He knows, but he's not the director. He's not the, the, the puppet master. He's not the one who's causing all these things. You have freedom uh, to a certain extent in that way, but he knows ahead of time. And because he knows, then he predestines. I don't know. I, yeah. Is that, is that answering? That's why this is such a complicated topic. <laughs> right. Did, I don't, did that answer your question? No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> Could you ask it again in a different way then, or even in the same way? But So in God's eternal foreknowledge, he foreknows who will have their heart open to him, and therefore he calls them. Yeah, I would say, Victor, make sure I'm saying it correctly here too. I would say God desires for all to be saved. Right. He calls all. And yet there are those who reject and he also knows who will reject it gets to be so complicated, right? I'm sorry. No, that's all right. It's, I think Vicar started in a good place here. Rather than worrying, you know, because here's where the Calvinists are. They're worried. Am I saved or not? Have I been called or not? And for us as Lutherans, we know God does that. We are saved. We are called. We've been baptized. He gives us the gifts. He leads our faith. He's predestined us. We're on the winning side in all the columns. <laughs> and because of that, we have that hope and promise, and we don't need to be concerned and worried. It's a doctrine for our... Um, to, to, to clear our conscience. To, it's a doctrine to give us assurance not to make us worried. So, yes, God foreknows and he predestines as a result of that foreknowledge. But we wouldn't want to say 
again, that there's some men that he doesn't call. Right? He sends the word, the parable of the sower. Maybe that's where we can go. I don't know. Hmm. Where does God sow the seed? Does that mean that every seed is going to grow into a plant? No. Okay, 1 Peter 1, 2 says, To God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Being in the faith means you are chosen and you are chosen by God's foreknowledge that you would be in the faith and so you are a Christian. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, have, I, what, have I said anything, Vicar, that... It's complicated, Pastor. <laughs> it is. The, I think we can say the foreknowledge of God isn't the thing that saves you. Christ on the cross is what saves you. God's foreknowledge is there. And from the beginning of time, he does know who will be the elect and who will be the reprobate, who will be saved and who will be damned. Also, from the beginning of time, he chooses. He chooses his elect. This is true. It also makes me wonder then, why do we struggle, maybe, to try to bring others into the fold that they've already rejected and are lost? There's always, I think we always think, there's still a hope for anybody. And there is. Okay. There, there is still hope, right? Even, even if they because the call goes out to all. It makes it a lot more difficult, right? Especially for those who have once been Christian and then fall away to bring them back. That's very difficult, but not impossible. Because the gospel is still for you, no matter where you are. But 
they can't really actually say that for sure because there is no certainty which side of the coin you are on. Mm -hmm. There's no hope that you have here. You will not know until your heart stops beating. Whereas we know, because what's the scripture say? I mean, you just, you just read, all of you people living in Turkey, right? I summarize it quicker than that. <laughs> all you Turkey people, God has elected, and you are chosen. That's gospel, that's hope, that's good news. And it's the same for you here. God has chosen. So, so you are born into a Christian home, and you are baptized, and you are taught the Word of God through your parents or going to church, and then you fall away. Are you going to go to hell? Or, because, <laughs> you know, I think in this day and age, there's a lot of that, where people have fallen away from God's Word. So maybe they won't be with us. <laughs> right, and then, I mean, the Lord ultimately knows, should they return to the faith and where their heart is, it's not impossible for them to return to the faith. But if they, are, if they are born and baptized and raised in the church, they can fall away from the faith. And at that point, they would not be saved should they reject Christ. And then they die. So it's not something that they can just... Well, it's not something they should just kick the can down the road and worry about salvation and matters of eternity later when I'm older. Is a very dangerous thing to do because who knows when the Lord will take you, right? Well, but God knows in his, his foreknowledge, he knows that if you live, if you can live beyond that, you will be saved. So I guess I think if God would take you until you have returned. Yes, no? I think that'd be his hope. God in his infinite knowledge uh, how he is working in all of the events of the world is beyond us. That's, I want to, as a pastor, sometimes you, you pray for people in just the way you're talking about, right? Lord, bring them to repentance and faith in you again. Um, and keep them alive until such time because do you want someone to go to hell? No. 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 What do we want for all people? Peace. Right? We want them to repent for their sake and for Christ's sake. That's our goal and that's our prayer then that they will do that. At the same time then, you have the other side of the coin, if they won't and they're going to lead other people away, then Lord, take them now. <laughs> You know, it's, it's a complicated thing. And I hope I'm not making it worse. Or... No. <laughs> okay. I have a question. Yes. And it's right out when I feel that. Um, where does judgment come in? It says on the last day you'll be judged. 
what does that fit in with predestination or no? It does in the sense that the Lord knows, well, the Lord has predestined some to salvation, and on judgment day, the elect will be judged righteous because the Lord looks at them and sees the righteousness of Christ. People who have been redeemed by Christ and washed in the blood of the Lamb, and they go to heaven, the new heavens and the new earth, to be with Jesus forever. And those then who have rejected Christ out of the hardness of their heart, those who have despised the gospel and God's word and God himself, they will be judged guilty. They are not covered with Christ's righteousness. They receive eternal damnation and condemnation. And that is at the end of all things. God knows now, right, right now. He knows. The very beginning. Yes. Who's going to be saved on Judgment Day and who's not. Absolutely. We're not privileged to that information. Correct. Yep. So it's like, uh, I've got a drug that's going to save 10 people. Or all, everybody in this room. Do I give it to everybody? Or do I just try to figure out who's the best and only give it to them? I mean, that's why, you know, when we try to bring people into the church, we're not privileged to know they're predestined. So we, uh, as an example of God's mercy, should offer his uh, salvation message to everyone. Here's the correction to your little example. Good. There's not a set number of pills, you know. It's not like we're going to run out. There's enough grace and mercy so that all would be saved. Though we do know that some reject Christ and they will not be saved. Yes? Can you explain it like this? So there's a timeline on, from the beginning until the end of time through judgment. And God knows he can see above that whole timeline from the beginning to end. We can only see up until the present time. We can't foresee it now. Right. God is sort of above and transcends time. He alone has that entirety of all knowledge. But we also know from point number six that we just covered that those who are in the faith, the Lord also promises to protect them in their great weakness against the devil and to lead them in his ways to raise them again when they stumble and comfort them under the cross and in temptation and preserve them for life eternal. That's the promise. And again, through sin and the temptations of this world and the temptations of the devil, even a Christian can fall into this sin and resist the Holy Spirit and drive him out through sin but that's not the Lord just abandoning or withdrawing arbitrarily or for no reason. So yes, his foreknowledge, the Lord, he knows. 
from the beginning he has known and we don't know and that's okay we do what the Lord has called us to do preach the good news administer the sacraments lead holy and godly lives study his word repent and believe the gospel that's what we're called to do and that's that's good we trust in the mercy of the Lord we believe in his promises we can't predict the future in that way yes just a quick one follow up to Charlotte's question on judgment <clears throat> aren't we judged the moment that we die yes right okay. yes so we can go on the sheep pile and not the ghost <laughs> get in line with the good guys well, or we all go to, you know, purgatory. <laughs> we do not all go to purgatory. That's an F for you today. Yes. Did the judgment day take place on Good Friday? I don't believe so. And this is what happens, too, on Judgment Day. And even when we die, the Lord, the Lord returns on the last day to judge the quick and the dead. I mean, that's what we confess in the Creed. Yes. But our sins are judged on the cross, not on the last day. Our sins are atoned for on the cross on Good Friday. Pastor, do you have something? I'd say the judgment for our sins is placed on Christ, yes, on the cross. And then we stand before God on the last day, and it's like the... i think of a good example. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, you buy... You get a, a concert ticket... And then you get in the door to the concert, you know, and it's, you had the ticket, you know you were getting in, and then that's the day that it happens. And it's probably a weak example at best. But it is the stamp of approval, the, the final. But we know that as soon as we die. Because as soon as we die, we're going to go to heaven or hell. Yes. When you die, you go to heaven or hell. And even that in itself, though, is not the final judgment. Because, and it's not that it's going to change, but there's an intermediate state when you die until the day of resurrection. And in that intermediate state, that final judgment is still coming. And the judgment will not change for you, but it's still not there. Yeah. Okay, I'll believe you. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it's, you just have to take it by faith. 
Right. Yeah. And it's Matthew, maybe you're going there, Victor. I don't want to. Matthew uh, chapter 25, starting at 31, where Christ comes. And this is the end. This is the last day. And he comes and he separates one person from another as a sheep. A shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And, you know, as Barb said, we're in the good column. <laughs> and we know that because God has chosen us and given his gifts to us and strengthened our faith throughout our life. We've been chosen to be in that. And our sins have been atoned for by Christ on the cross. And the judgment for any wrong that we have done has been paid for by what Christ has done. But this is the, the switch from the intermediate state to the, the I say final state. Is that even, you know, the, the resurrection. This is when the resurrection takes place and we come into it in its fullness. Maybe that's a way to say it. Is that a good way to say it? And to receive our rewards. Yes. And we are saved by what Christ has done and made alive in the faith, then we often unwittingly do good works. And God is pleased by those good works. We're saved by what by Christ making us alive to do those good works. And so in that sense, too, we confess in the, uh, the Athanasian Creed, right, that uh, those who have done good will inherit eternal life, and those who have done uh, is it wicked or evil will not. All of that is a result still of what Christ has done, and that he has forgiven our sins and made us alive. Or to get us back maybe to the topic. He has predestined us through Christ Jesus to receive these gifts. All that to say, and here's where we really want the focus to be, uh, I'll turn back over to you here in a minute, Vicar. We should not be alarmed or worried or terrified about that day. We should not be alarmed or terrified about our death. Right? I'm not going to bring it about, so don't read into what I'm saying here. I'm looking forward <laughs> to the day when I leave this sinful world behind and enter God's kingdom. And at that day, too, when I enter God's kingdom spiritually, I will also be looking forward to the day when I will enter God's kingdom in the resurrection bodily to be with God face to face in my flesh, uh, as Job talks about. These things are meant to give us comfort here in this world where there are so many uncertain things. We know for sure what's ahead for the Christian. I don't know what will happen to you tomorrow or the next day or any of that, but I know that when you die, your spirit will go to be with God. And on the day of resurrection in Matthew 25, your body will be reunited with your spirit and you will live with God forever. I know that because God has given his gifts to you and you believe those gifts. 
All right, Richard, now correct me again if I said anything. No, first. it's good. <laughs> but now we have to take up this issue then of, okay, well, how do the Calvinists come to this idea where God sends, where God has chosen from the beginning of time to send some people to hell and some people to save? And one of the main ones is Romans 9, 22 to 23, which reads, What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Now, at first glance, this might be a slam dunk for the Calvinists, right? Because it's talking about, you know, vessels prepared for destruction and then also vessels of mercy prepared for glory. But if we look closely at the grammar, St. Paul, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, doesn't say who prepared the vessels of wrath for destruction, but he does say who prepares the vessels of mercy for glory. God prepares the vessels of mercy beforehand for glory. The vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, we need to ask who then is doing this preparing? And it is not God. It is actually the will of the devil and the will of wicked men. So by the hardening of your own heart, you resist the Holy Spirit. You resist God and his word. It is not as if God just swoops in and says, you can't be a Christian. Even though my word is going out to you, even though my gospel is coming to you, I'm not going to let you be a Christian. The Lord doesn't do that. That would go against his will that all men be saved. Again, in our confessions, we take up this topic and address these verses specifically. This... Um, passage from Romans chapter 9. Hence the apostle distinguishes with special care the work of God, who alone makes vessels of honor, and the work of the devil and of man, who by instigation of the devil and not of God, has made himself a vessel of dishonor. For thus it is written in Romans 9.22, God endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory. Here then the apostle clearly says that God endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath, but he does not say that he made them vessels of wrath. For if this had been his will, he would, have not, he would not have required any great long suffering for it. The fault, however, that they are fitted for destruction belongs to the devil and to men themselves and not to God. So if God predestined some to hell, why then would he have long suffering for these vessels? If he just arbitrarily from the beginning said, yep, you're going to hell, there's nothing you can do about it, why would he... Why would he deal with them patiently and with this long suffering? Why would he desire all men to be saved 
that would be a contradiction. So the Lord has not, from the beginning, beginning of time, prepared vessels for destruction, only for glory. For all preparation for condemnation is by the devil and man through sin, and in no respect by God, who does not wish that any man be damned. How then should he himself prepare any man for condemnation? For as God is not a cause of sins, so too he is not a cause of punishment, of damnation. But the only cause of damnation is sin, for the wages of sin is death. And as God does not will sin, and has no pleasure in sin, so he does not wish the death of the sinner either, Ezekiel 33:11. Nor has he pleasure in his condemnation. For he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So too it is written in Ezekiel, As I live, saith the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. And St. Paul testifies in the clear words that from the vessel of dishonor, vessels of honor may be made by God's power and working, when he writes thus, If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. For he who is to for he is to purge himself must first have been unclean, and hence a vessel of dishonor. But concerning the vessels of mercy, he says clearly that the Lord himself has prepared them for glory, which he does not say concerning the damned, who themselves, and not God, have prepared themselves as vessels of damnation. So again, it is wicked man and his rejection of Christ his rejection of the gospel of the forgiveness of sins, which seals his fate as one condemned. So then what is the problem with this double predestination? Right? If from the beginning God just says, yep, you guys go to heaven, you guys go to hell. It would actually make God the author of evil. It would mean that he would have to control and make it so that some would sin and be cut off. It would make God the author of evil. It would also make the proclamation of the gospel completely unnecessary. Right? It would make ultimately Christ unnecessary. I mean, if, if what saves you is a decision made beforehand, and what condemns you is a decision made beforehand... Christ really doesn't fit into that equation. You're absolutely right. So it's completely inconsistent with what Holy Scriptures teach. Right? It diminishes or destroys entirely what Christ has done by his death and resurrection. It limits the atonement. If Christ, Christ did die for all sins, and if you say, well, some are predestined to hell... This is where the Calvinists take it. They would say, Jesus didn't die for all sins. 
He only died for the sins of the elect, those who will go to heaven, which is just evil and not found in Holy Scriptures at all. Again, another problem with this double predestination is that our focus shifts from what has Christ done for me by his death and resurrection? What good gifts is the Lord giving to me by his son? And it just kind of shifts over to, well, am I elect or not? And I can't really know. Christ really doesn't matter. What matters is this predestination thing more than anything. Because I need to know if the Lord is just going to send me to hell. But I can't know. So then you just get trapped up in this. And there's, there's a lot of unknowing and a lot of doubt and a lot of hurt in that. And there's no assurance of salvation under double predestination. It's just, I guess God flips a coin at the end. You really can't know one way or the other. So in the United States, this idea of double predestination is very prevalent. And typically when you hear people use the word predestination, they're talking about double predestination. They're talking about from the beginning God sends some to hell and some to heaven. So you just need to be aware of that when you have conversations with people. When they use that word predestination, they probably don't mean it the way the Lutherans teach it and the way Holy Scriptures teach it. So it's important to um, lay out the terms when you start talking about these things with your Christian friends. But this doesn't mean that we should avoid the term predestination altogether. Because it's actually a great comfort to us Christians. We actually do know that we are elect. That Christ has died for us. That he saves us and forgives us. That we will be in heaven with our Lord forever. And this is good. So there's some Christians who would say, well, we're not going to use that word at all because the Calvinists have abused it. No, I think we should. We should take it back from them. <laughs> not, let them not let them tarnish a good thing like that through their false teaching. Any final questions in closing? Is it clear as mud now? <laughs> well, maybe we should be like the, the virgins at the wedding and be prepared with the oil in your lamps. In other words, we should study God's word and stay with it, right? Right. Yes. Live as a Christian because God has called you by His gospel. The Holy Spirit has sanctified you and made you a Christian. Live in this Christian life that the Lord has given you and don't reject it. Pastor? Thank you, Victor, for coming on the topic. I want to make a comment about next week. Next week, um, neither Victor nor I, nor Pastor Poppy, nor Pastor Goodwood will be here. So there will be no Bible study next week. We'll meet again the week after. So one week from today, no Bible study. Two weeks from now, we'll meet again.